Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast, a Bible study for those who struggle with digging into the Bible, but who want to develop a richer faith, one with some meat on its bones. I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots, in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, today we conclude our study in the book of Ephesians as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 23 and 24. Let's dig in. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 23 and 24, these are the final verses in this letter to the church of Ephesus from from Paul. Paul is always extremely intentional about how he concludes his letters. In fact, if you look at the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament, you can see that there are very different ways in which Paul concludes them, but also there are some similarities to them as well. We may not be usually quite as intentional as Paul is about closing our letters, but especially if it's a handwritten letter and it's somebody we know or we love or we're trying to give direction to, that concluding paragraph or two is extremely important in order to leave them with the most important message that you want to leave them with. Now, you don't have to be sending a handwritten letter in order to leave people with an important message. In fact, electronic letters, email, is another way for us to communicate. And how we end our letter is strategic oftentimes and sometimes even counterproductive. How do we end our electronic mail, our emails? Usually we end our emails with a signature. But I wonder if you are as intentional as maybe you should be with your final words that you send every time you send an email. And so uh, in order to draw attention to that, I stumbled across this, the 15 biggest blunders for bad email signatures. And I just thought that I'd roll through some of these. And if some of these are one, are you? Then I didn't write this, but it's food for thought. Comic Sans, it's a blunder. Don't leave your reader thinking you're childish because you concluded a professional email with Comic Sans. Inspirational quotes, they are so 1998 when it comes to email. Uh, Don't leave an inspirational quote, this article says. 10 plus social media icons. We know that you're likely on social media and that you want to be an influencer, but that's not the taste that you want to leave in somebody's mouth at the end of your email. Fax numbers, it dates you. It makes you seem really old and I'm not going to tell you how recently I had a fax number at the end of my emails, but it's not the best way to end an email with a fax number. It says something about you, just like number five on the list. If you write sent from my iPhone, uh, essentially that's saying, as the article says, I'm sorry for not proofreading this. Well, proofread your email so that you can delete sent from my iPhone off of your email signature. No signature at all. Not saying goodbye, not saying your name, not giving any well wishes. It's also a blunder to end your email without an ending. Too many font colors. Um, If you're a preschool teacher, this might be acceptable, but also probably not. Keep it to black or keep it to gray or keep it to one color. 
we all know you're a beautiful human being. Don't end your email, number eight says, with a photo. And if you do end it with a photo, make sure that it's not an awkward family photo. See, people are judging you as to how you end your letters, how you end your emails. Lengthy disclaimers may be okay for a lawyer or certain professions may be required, but if it's not required, don't end your email with a disclaimer. It leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. An outdated call to action. If you're encouraging people to attend or register for a conference in 2012, then it says that attention to detail may not be your strong suit. It's football season in the FCC, number 11. Leave your alma mater out of your email closing signatures. It's good advice. Number 12, including your email address in your email signature is unnecessary. They have your email address if you sent them an email. You don't need to include it in your signature. Number 13, Times New Roman Font. It is seemingly innocuous and it's the default, but maybe just because it's the default. Be a little more creative. Be a little more personalized. Number 14, too many titles. We know you have an MBA, a CPA, a CISM, and you've self-ordained yourself the king of the universe, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to be in your email signature. And number 15 and last, excessive awards. If you've received a lot of awards, the email signature is not a place to put them. Now, why all of that? Well, because how we end our emails says a lot about who we are says a lot about what we care about or what we don't care about, and sometimes can reflect very badly on us. It can tell the wrong story about us. And so we should be intentional about how we conclude our emails and what our email signatures contain. And right after this, I'm going to jump on and check out my email signatures because um, I don't even know what's in them, which clearly means I've not been intentional. Paul on the other hand, was extremely intentional about how he concluded Ephesians. And so chapter 6, verse 23, Paul writes, Paul concludes, Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, i got to be honest with you. I read through this and and I read through it multiple times and and every time I read through it it just kind of went right over my head um, because I've kind of grown to become immune unfortunately to some of these words they they um they sound like flowery language that Paul just needed to say something that sounded spiritual but wasn't necessarily applicational well, we know Paul well enough to know that that's, that's not Paul's style. Every single word that comes out of Paul's mouth was extremely intentional. And he's sitting in prison writing this letter that may well be the last communication to these people. And he's ending this letter. This is his chance for him to leave them with something. And so I, I don't think that this is innocuous. I don't think that it's meant to just simply say sincerely, comma, Paul, it's meant to communicate something more. So let's read it again and let's try to focus and listen and allow the words 
of this conclusion to wash over us and to seep into the recesses of our soul. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's peace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost as though Paul reaches out to the hand to his child and says a blessing with his hand on their head. Peace be with you, dear son, dear daughter. May God and Jesus give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon you and everyone who love Jesus. Now, there are four key words in Paul's conclusion here. Now, I want to make sure that, that you catch each one of these. There's peace, love, faith, and grace. These are words that we can that we can rush through without stopping to think about. But what we see here is actually four words, peace, love, faith, and grace, that should be markers of a Christian. In fact, I might even say that if there were four words that should be markers of what it means to be and live like a Christian, I don't know that there would be any other word that would replace one of these four. Christians should be people of peace. Christians should be people of love. Christians should be people of faith. And pe Christians should be people of grace. The unfortunate thing is, is that I think that if we were to take a poll of the world who reads Christianity, who, who reads God and Christ through the lens of my life and your life, would these be the four words that they would think of about us? And if it's not, then these are not the four words that the world thinks of Christ or of God or of Christianity. So I think what Paul has done here is Paul has said, you know what, y'all? I know you're facing a really difficult situation there in Ephesus. I know that times are tough. I know that that city is really difficult to live in. You might as well live in Vegas or, or Dubai. There are just an incredible number of things there that could get you off of your way or your journey or sideline you. I understand all of that, but the only antidote that I have, the only way to inoculate you against all of that, the only thing that I can do to keep you on a path of health is to say to you, these four things need to be in your life in spades. Peace, love, faith, and grace. But there's something key here that Paul seems to indicate. The way Paul phrases this is he phrases it in this way. May God continue to reveal his loving nature to you. May God, may God bring these things out in you. So it's not as though Paul is saying, get out your spade and dig deeply inside of yourself to resurrect these things, idiot. They're there. Or... You need to plant them or something. No, Paul, Paul, the way that he writes this, Paul essentially says these seeds for, for these four things, these seeds for peace and love and faith and grace were placed in you at salvation. And so your job obviously is to pull out the weeds, is to ensure that all four of these things have a 
healthy and viable and viable environment in which to grow. But it's God's responsibility to bring the growth. And so he essentially calls on God here to send the rain. Essentially calls on God here to send the blessing. His his benediction to them with his hand on their head is essentially a prayer to God to help these things be made manifest, alive, to thrive within them. And I love this. Paul, throughout this letter, and now with a laser focus at the conclusion, is saying God has provided literally everything that you need in Christ. Therefore, live worthy. Live worthy of that gift. And that would be, I guess, here at the conclusion of our seven-week study in the book of Ephesians, the best thing that I could leave with you as well are these words. God has provided all that you need in Christ. Therefore, live worthy of the gift. God has provided all you need in Christ. Therefore, live worthy of the gift. You've been listening to the Christ Table Podcast. If you'd like to join us in our Bible studies, you can check out our website at www.christtable.today. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about it. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation. Our mission? It's simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. You can find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. When you get over there, be sure to sign up for our email list. And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box that I'm going to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us in our next Bible study series, Brave Conversations. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well, www.christstable.today. Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. And until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young, and this is the Christ Table Podcast. 